Listen to that bass line there in Rio by Duran Duran. I love that bass line. That's a great song. If you haven't listened to it lately, go on Spotify and listen to it. Um, this is Richard Barron. I've got a new podcast, Election Insider. We're going to cover several things on this podcast. First, uh, we'll, we'll delve into some stories in the news that deal with um, elections. We've got so many problems in the U.S. with misinformation on elections and a lot of people out there, especially someone like Mike Lindell, that causing major problems for elections offices. I think one of the other things is some basics with the elections administration will be helpful for much of the public because one of the first questions I always get is, is that a full-time job? Um, I was in the elections world for 23 years and what I can tell you is that it is constant work. Um, so I think we'll go forward with that for now. Um, I started out in Travis County, uh, which is Austin, Texas, back in 1999. I worked there for about four years. I was an elections management coordinator. And then I moved on to uh, Sequoia Voting Systems, which is now defunct. And that was swallowed up at some point by Smartmatic. And then uh, after Smartmatic was forced by the Justice Department to sell those that asset, uh, it was split between ESNS and Dominion. And from there, I went to Hard Inner Civic, which is another company that does voting systems, and they were based in Austin, Texas. Uh, after I was laid off there with 25% of the workforce, I went to Williamson County as the elections administrator. I was there for six and a half years, and then uh, went to Fulton County and worked there for nine years. I resigned. I announced my resignation 4th of November of 2021, and my last day was April Fool's Day, which seems appropriate considering what's happening in the elections world and with a lot of the elected officials that, especially on the right, that are cowards and they will not stand up to the crazies in their party because they're afraid of them because those people show up at public comment all the time. We'll get into that. I mean, I, there are some some politicians here in Georgia that are less than respectable, and it's sad that in their districts the voters vote for them, but I think it says more about the people that live in that those districts than it even does about the, the, the elected officials that are running. Why I resigned, let's get into that, and I can talk about some of the elected officials here. First of all, I, wanna, I also want to make a point that I'm not here just to attack the Republican Party. I mean, I think it's gone off the rails. Um, at one point in my life, I voted mostly Republican from the time I started voting in 1984 uh, all the way through the early 2000s. And 
I used to be a, even though I listened to national public radio from 1990 on, I was also um, a Rush Limbaugh fan in the 90s. I thought he was an interesting person to listen to on the radio. And, but I think what happened with me as I, and why I changed somewhat is back in, you know, President Bush, I, I was all on the, with the philosophy that we should have a smaller federal government. And I was always liberal socially, but as far as uh, when it came to fiscal matters, which is what I mostly voted on, I, I was uh, conservative in that point, on that point. And then, so, but once the Republicans took hold in, with President Bush being elected, and that's W, and the Republicans grabbing a hold of the House and the Senate, they started spending more money than the Democrats ever did. And that was against everything that had been told to the public what would happen. You know, the Republicans worked well with Bill Clinton because Clinton was a great politician and... Newt Gingrich had a plan and was willing to work with them. And that back then you had Republicans and Democrats that were willing to work with one another. And some good legislation came out of it. Some was poor. I mean, but once once they had all the power, the Republicans, and they just began spending money, I became disenchanted with the whole political system. And over the next six years, my, my views changed. And I started voting for the first time in my life uh, for some Democratic candidates. Now, I always didn't vote Republican for president. Sometimes I would just throw my vote to a third party, not because I wanted anybody in the third party, but because I, I really didn't think either of the, the candidates for presidential office were, were worth um, voting for. I don't really want to vote uh, for, I want to vote for someone. I don't want to vote against someone. And so I think it's fine to put a protest vote in for a third party candidate. Some people think it's throwing away the vote. Maybe it is, but, you know, I think you've got to um, at least be somewhat principled when it comes to politics. And that's what's missing today. So uh, I started voting Democrat, but I, I usually vote for the person, but probably in 2008, Obama was the first person that I ever voted for um, as a Democrat for president. But regardless of that, when I have had, I think as an elections administrator, the best thing that can happen is when you get, if both parties are mad at you, you know you're doing your job because it's important to be nonpartisan when you're working in elections because you need to be the arbiter of all the elections processes. And if you let politics get in the way, then you are going to have major problems because people are going to point fingers at you. In 
2018 after Stacey Abrams lost. I had some far left people coming after me in public comment and public meetings because they were unhappy. They were unhappy, first of all, that Trump was in the presidency. And with everything going on with Russia and that investigation, they were looking for anywhere to point fingers. And when Stacey Labrams lost, she started making claims that the election wasn't fair. She never conceded, which is a problem. In that, she's no different than Trump when it comes to that because he wouldn't concede, she didn't concede. Now, she isn't the jerk Trump is, um, and she is a supporter of democracy, so I will give her that. But at the same time, if you are going to be a sore loser like Stacey Abrams, who still has a, has a case running through the courts in Georgia... Regarding the 2018 election, it's hard not to mention that similarity with Trump. And I think a lot of Democrats need to look at her and tell her she needs to concede that race. She never will. So after that 2018 election, I, I used to do, uh, I had people coming to public comment calling for my job. And most of it had to do with because I did international election observer missions for the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. I, I felt that it was a, my duty to help in any way I could with emerging democracies overseas. So I went to elections in Kazakhstan, Macedonia, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and then... Um, Ukraine. So those people on the left came to attack me because they said that I was a Russian mole. Because so no good deed goes unpunished. I was someone that enjoyed those missions. I thought that they were invaluable experiences because not only do you see the election processes, and corruption right in front of your face and election fraud. It, uh, it was educational because you get to immerse yourself in the culture and the, the people of those countries were so welcoming. Uh, it, was, it was a great experience. I mean, we had, you would go out to be assigned to an area and I remember in Tajikistan, we went to this, we were scouting out polling places to observe at the next day. And we went to this village of 75 homes. They, the school headmaster was also the head election official for that, that area. And when we went there, we, he showed us around the school and then he said, do you guys have time for lunch? We said, sure. So we went to his house. He called his wife and told her that she needed to get ready for some guests. So we went there and we had a lunch of kefir from his cows. We had bread from the wheat in the fields there. 
We had eggs from the chickens he had, and then they killed a chicken for us to eat. It was one of the best meals I've ever had. We sat in this room, what I would call Indian style, uh, legs crossed on the floor on some beautiful rugs. And we had the food and some tea, which you, when you go to those countries, you drink so much tea, it makes your head spin. But it's, I mean, it's great. I was introduced to just tea cultures when I would go uh, to those former Soviet countries who were trying to get some legitimacy for their elections. I mean, that's really why they want the OSCE in there. And, but, the, you know, the, the elections were, were obviously rigged. I mean, in Kazakhstan, I think Nazarbayev got something like, I think he got 95% of the vote with 90% turnout. They were giving toasters and all kinds of things away to college students in order to get them to vote. And even one of Nazarbayev's uh, opponents voted for him, he announced. I'm not even sure why he ran. But in some of those countries, what you would see as an election observer is someone walk up. Well, there, there are the registration uh, lists. And at nine in the morning, there would be a couple people in there voting. But there would be like 900 signatures already on the lines. And a lot of the signatures looked the same. And there's no way they could have processed 900 voters in two hours. Uh, I saw people walk in with ballots, hand them to the election official, drop them in the boxes. That, that's real election fraud. Not, not this BS that is spouted by Mike Lindell and Donald Trump. Uh, that's BS. But with regard to being the Russian mole for going on elections and observer missions is, is crazy. There was a woman, I think she's out of San Francisco, named Jennifer Cohn. She was sure that I was a Russian mole. And she wrote a long, like 40 or 50 page treatise on what was wrong with American elections. And she's an attorney out there. Part of what she wrote in there was, uh, when you go on these, it was about the one of my election partners. When you go on these missions, what they do is they pair you up with another observer. And they always want a male-female observer team because in some of those countries, they want to make sure that there's female representation on every team so that it shows these countries that women have an important role in everything. So I had an observer from Russia. Actually, on five of my, I, in my five missions, I had two Russian partners. Um, I had somebody from uh, Lithuania on another one. And I think the other, I had a Swede on another one and a German. And, you know, the Russian delegations were always the same size as the U.S. delegations. They would send the biggest number of people. The U.S. sent 250, the Russians would send 250. 
Now, a lot of the Russians on these were, they didn't seem to really care too much about observing. I mean, I will, I will say that. I think their interests more lied. They, they were more there to probably, I'm not sure, help with the corruption. Not the two observers I had, but... I, I, I don't know. They just didn't seem to have the interest that some of the other people did. And, you know, that's unfortunate. But I had a partner named Julia Kudineva. She was a nice lady. I mean, I... Um, so Jennifer Cohen's treatise came out, and she... It caught the eye of the FBI, I think, through people that were contacting the FBI regarding her. So there were a couple of people that had been her part, partner, me and a guy from Alabama. And what happened was the FBI decided to come to talk to both of us to find out if she was a spy. And they asked a series of questions. And I mean, at the end of my conversation with them, they said, well, either she's not a very good spy or she's not a spy. Because from all of my answers to their questions, it didn't seem to them that she was there. I think this, the reason she was suspected as being a Russian spy was because her father was the chief prosecutor in Moscow who put Sergei Magnitsky away and sent him to Siberia, and he later died there in a prison. And there was something called the Magnitsky Act that the Congress passed, and it was it dealt with child adoptions and Russia. And it was because of that... Uh, because of that connection, people suspected her as being, you know, some some sort of person involved in espionage, which then t- tainted me. So these left wing, I- I'm only going to call them left wing nuts. They decided that there was a conspiracy. Uh, one of them put together an absolutely nutty. Um, dossier on me and give it to my board um, I just I think her name was Katrina Griezmann if I'm remembering right she's here locally in Atlanta there were quite a few others um, we had like George Balbona he would come with eight cameras to our board of registration and elections meeting he was what I would call an aggressive filmer later though um I had a lot of conversations with George, and he's, an, he's a, actually he's a good guy, but he's too suspicious of everything that happens. I mean, I just my experience with elections over the years is that there's nothing but dedicated people who are just trying to get through elections without being a, a bad story in the media. That's really what it's all about. I mean, I've worked because of my work with the the two voting system companies. I've worked in almost 40 counties around the country, and I've seen nothing but upstanding individuals 
of integrity working in elections offices and not only that in the vendors offices because they know how important their products are and they don't want anything to taint their products because that's how the companies stay alive and how they pay their people and they serve the counties so they have a vital interest in making sure that their voting systems are sound and secure But I was attacked many, many times after that 2018 elections by left-wing, left-wingers, Democrats. And it was less than fun to be involved in that, to have people line up and say bad things about you that weren't true. Now, after the 2020 election, Trump, you know, but I never had any death threats from them. You know, that was the difference. That was, uh, you know, the, the, the Trump cultists, which I would, how I would like to term them, who just follow him blindly. They are the ones that took everything to a new level. And I, I just don't understand people that believe him, believe anything he says. I mean, this he's a con man and... He only cares about himself. I have uh, a friend who one time dated Marla Maples for a couple of years, Trump's ex-wife. And of all the kids Trump had, he's never once changed a diaper on any of his kids, which I think tells you something about his ability to be a father. His... I have another friend who used to work in Colorado with Don Jr. And he told me recently that there is no way he would say anything negative about Hunter Biden if he was there because he saw him snort lines of coke on a regular basis. So, you know, I there's so many hypocrisies in... The political world and unfortunately now we've got so many problems with the in the elections world i i just it makes me sick to my stomach to see what's happening in our country and that's i guess one of the reasons why i wanted to start this podcast but i also wanted to impart or implore people not to think that i am going to hammer on one party because I just have an ideological problem with the party. The reason I will pick on the Republicans in this podcast is because they're acting as dishonest brokers in this whole mess that we have. And after that 2020 election, what went on was absolutely I don't even know what you want to call it. I mean, it's beyond uncalled for. It's unconscionable, some of the things that happened across the country. But personally, seeing what happened to my staff, knowing just my personal story, and I think we'll we'll cover some of that on future podcasts. But, I mean, essentially, uh, it ruined my career. I mean, I, I just... I don't have a career in elections anymore and I really I don't want to have one in in that area 
because especially in county government, I mean, if I'm going to work for a nonprofit that is on the outside of elections, that would be great. But that's not going to happen right now. And, you know, they want to the Republicans passed a bill in the legislature that enables the state election board to consider whether to take over a county and they can appoint a team that can go into a county, observe their elections, and then observe an election and then determine whether they need to take it over. The legislature passed this to to ensure election integrity, but it was essentially passed only with Fulton County in mind. There were like 43 white people that signed on to a letter to start the investigation of Fulton County. And it's a majority minority county. What these people do not understand, and they're supposed to be intelligent elected officials, is that in Fulton County, Biden got 72% of the vote. Stacey Abrams got 75% of the vote. Hillary Clinton got 68% of the vote. If you go back through the archives, you'll find that that election in Fulton County, the results were right along with all of the other results in presidential and gubernatorial elections. So it shouldn't be a surprise that Biden got 72% of the vote in Fulton County. It is a democratically dominated county. The Democrats completely dominate this county. I mean, several years ago, the legislature redrew the district for commissioners in Fulton County in order to get, you know, three commissioners on there instead of two. They took away, there used to be two at-large seats, and now there's only one. But this law is so flawed because they, they need, you have to get two legislators from the Rep- House of Representatives, two from the Senate, in Georgia, or you have to get some uh, commissioners to go along with it, county commissioners. Now, Fulton County has a gigantic legislative delegation. So there are Republicans and Democrats uh, on that 36-member delegation. So it's easy to start an investigation in Fulton County. In DeKalb County, though, they don't have any any Republicans on their delegation or as serving as county commissioners. And Democrats are not going to investigate a county. I know that the state wants to investigate DeKalb County, but that law will not permit it because they don't have anyone from the opposing party to start the process, as they did in Fulton County. And in most of the counties around the around the state including Coffee County in the South that has that problem with the uh, director of elections that allowed some of these nuts into her office to go through the voting machines and poll files. They can't do anything to start a, an investigation down there. The SEB can't do anything because they don't have the ability in the law to do that. Now, the SEB has other powers, but they can't 
appoint a performance review panel as they did in Fulton County. And that's where the law is flawed. I mean, it's an unnecessary law anyway because it pits the state against the counties. And this adversarial process in Georgia is one of the things that's wrong with it. We don't need an adversarial process. The Secretary of State, when I worked in Texas, worked as a partner with the counties. The counties were essentially laboratories for good election processes. Every county had its own voting system. Every, most counties had their own voter registration system, which were plugged into the state system. And so you had a completely decentralized process in Texas. And that's one thing I liked about elections administration in Texas. And I appreciated the fact that there you could call one of the attorneys and there were several on staff and ask their opinion and they would give you their opinion and then tell you to check with your county attorney. In Georgia, if you call to ask a legal question, they say, just talk to your county attorney. They will give you no legal advice. You cannot get help from the secretary of state's office in Georgia. It is completely adversarial. And Raffensperger, no one, none of the election directors like him. I mean, he is, he is unpopular amongst the directors. Kemp at least was personable, even though I disagreed with most things. But, and I thought on a couple of things he got a bad rap. I'll give... Ravensburger, all the credit in the world for taping Trump and releasing it. But other than that, he's run a terrible elections office. He's had more than 100% turnover there. He has a really awkward personality. Uh, you, can, you, you can't have a conversation with the man. I mean, he's, he's socially inept. Um, but anyway... I just find it despicable that 43 white people in the Georgia Assembly decided to investigate a majority-minority county. This is the heart of the civil rights movement here in Atlanta and in Fulton County. And the people that went along with this listened to Rudy Giuliani, who's America's court jester. Giuliani, I, I you know, you, the guy now seems like a looney tune. And he used to be a respectable mayor of New York City. But I think everyone saw when he decided to run for president and he skipped the first states, Iowa, New Hampshire, and decided to stake everything on South Carolina where he got clobbered. I mean, that maybe he was nuts because he, his presidential campaign was horrible. And he could have, you know, had he taken advantage of his fame and popularity and respect when he was mayor in New York, it's possible if he ran a good campaign, he could have become president. Now, the way he acts now, it's fortunate that he didn't become president because he is, he came down here, got in front of the assembly and just lied about everything, brought people up there to testify. And these Georgia legislatures on the Republican side ate it up, just gullible. The Republicans in the Georgia Assembly are gullible and they're cowards. And on top of that, most of them have racial issues. And that's the disgusting part. And we had so many people harassing us. My staff was all black. They got racial 
threats hurled at them over the phone constantly. Some of them had people coming to their homes. Two of my staff testified in front of Congress. I mean, it ruined people's lives. And that shouldn't be happening in the United States. I mean, we, we're, we're descending into a third world state when it comes to the way people are viewing our elections. And it's dangerous. But these politicians here, Republican politicians, did nothing about those threats and the harassment. And some of them would just perpetuate all these lies that Trump told every day. We had a commissioner here in Fulton County named Bob Ellis. Bob fashions himself as being a mini Ted Cruz. He loves to bully people. Um, I, you know, out of respect for commissioners, um, the respectable commissioners on the, on the board of commissioners here in Fulton, and especially Chairman Pitts, who I respect and admire and I like, he just told me to let people talk and don't talk back. So I would sit down there and just take it. I, you know, I wanted to lash out because Bob Ellis, Bob Ellis is pretty ignorant when it comes to elections. And I think he's a racist. Um, I don't mind saying that because he told me when I was at the podium that of all, and this was in a public meeting, so you can go back through the commissioner's meetings on the Fulton County Archive on the website and find this, but he told me of all the, our department was worse than all of the elections departments in the United States, or in, in, in the world. All the third world elections departments around the world were better than Fulton County's elections department. Now, I don't even think, I don't know, Bob Ellis does not seem like the type of person that has any intellectual curiosity about anybody but people in Georgia, you know. I don't know if he's traveled overseas, but he surely hasn't been overseas to see election fraud with paper ballots in former Soviet countries or the third world, as he likes to call. So he attacked our department, an all-black department except for me, as being the worst of the worst. He, his purpose was to, to, demoral, to try to embarrass me and demoralize a black staff. That was his purpose. And a lot of people in the north part of Fulton County have racial issues. They don't want anything to do with South Fulton. And, but that's Georgia. I mean, you know, the old South is, is rising again down here because of Trump and because of cowardly politicians like Bob Ellis, you know. Uh, you've also got Liz Hausman here, who's now running for state Senate. She had a job with the Secretary of State's office where she was supposed to help with the new voting system and be somewhat of a county liaison. I mean, I only talked to her twice during this, that implementation. I, I don't know what she did, but she got $75,000 for a 20-hour-a-week contract. 
I don't know if she ever put in 20 hours a week on that contract. But she was also a board of commissioner, or she was a commissioner on the Fulton County Board. So she was a mouthpiece for the Secretary of State. The Secretary of State, Raffensperger, you know, he, he has no love for Fulton County. He lives in Fulton County, but he hates Fulton County. And that's really what it comes down to. And so she served as his mouthpiece on the Fulton County Board of Commissioners. She had that contract that they gave to her. They didn't interview anybody else. They didn't even approach anyone else for that job. They just gave it to her. She would criticize us in public meetings. where, And if she had any ethics at all, she would have recused herself because she was getting paid by another entity where she and she made double the amount for the Secretary of State than she did for Fulton County. So where do, where do you think her loyalties lied? It wasn't with Fulton County. And she wanted to go after the department because she is a, one of the nutty Republicans who lists, who's, who are, and she's afraid of her constituents. That's what we have here. The Republicans are afraid of their constituents and they don't have the backbone. So you've got Lee Morris, who has turned into a complete coward. I have no respect for the man anymore. He's another commissioner. He used to be an honest broker, like a moderate Republican. But he would sit there while he would sit there silent while Ellis and Houseman would go after me and my department. And he would vote with them and he would never say anything because he's a coward. And there are people that still respect him and they shouldn't. There should be no respect for Lee Morris. He's made himself, he's disgraced himself as far as I'm concerned. And I, it's sad to say because I liked Lee. Bob, I, I never liked him. He's, he's arrogant and basically a jerk. Liz Hausman, no one likes. I mean, everybody in the county talked from the top of the county to the bottom. <laughs> no one liked her. Um, she is just an abrasive personality. And these are the kind of people that you have to deal with as the director of elections in Fulton County. The people at the legislature, people on the Fulton County Board of Commissioners. Um... I got tired of fighting with these people, and that's one of the reasons I resigned. I mean, the whole process just seemed to be corrupt. And after a while, you know, you just get tired, and that's why I left. I liked my position, I loved my staff, and we had, I had a dedicated staff, so many good people there. Some of them, some of them got harassed. I mean, I, I'm not sure people really understand how many calls came into our office um, that where people had to be subjected to hearing the N word over and over again on the phone, telling us that we were going to have motorcycle gangs come and kill everyone in the office, ask them if the, the motorcycle gangs had arrived, telling us they were 20 minutes away. Um, people talked about lynching. Um, I, I mean, I personally got some some death threats. There was a guy named Ross Miller up in Forsyth County, and the Fulton County Police didn't do anything about it. The FBI finally decided to look into one of my death threats. I never got any kind of an update um, on what happened, but 
Fulton County Police did nothing. They told me they were going to go arrest him, and then they just sat on their hands. Um, they, they didn't do anything. The Fulton County government didn't do anything about trying to protect us. They put an officer in our lobby for a while, and I got protection because I requested it for about seven nights around the January 5th election for the Senate runoff in 2021. So they would provide that, but they refused to provide any protection for Shay Moss and her mom, Ruby Freeman, because they lived in other counties. I don't know why they didn't transfer money to the sheriff's departments or the marshals over in those areas to provide protection for those two ladies who had their lives turned upside down. You know, there, 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 something could have happened, but they, they basically said it's, you know, they needed to pay $27 an hour for security out of their own pocket for all of the stuff that they were dealing with. That, that was something that I thought was despicable. And I know the external affairs director did not like me talking about that in public, you know, to say that the Fulton County, um, police didn't do anything for us. All right, let's move on to Mike Lindell. There was an article that I read last week, and it had to do with Mike Lindell and urging his followers to put in open records requests at elections offices around the country. The article was in the Washington Post. The headline was Trump backers flood election offices with requests as the 2022 vote nears nears and it was by Amy Gardner and Patrick Marley and this was on September 11th that they published this. So the requests for the records are related to the 2020 election and they've complicated preparations for November, which some officials say may be the point. That's that what they write in the top part of the article. What's, uh, so they said supporters of former President Donald Trump have swamped local election offices across the nation in recent weeks with a coordinated campaign of requests for 2020 voting records, in some cases paralyzing preparations for the fall election season. In nearly two dozen states and scores of counties, election officials are fielding what many described as an unprecedented wave of public records requests in the final weeks of summer. One they say may be intended to hinder their work and weaken an already strained system. The avalanche of sometimes identically worded requests has forced some to dedicate days to respond to process of responding even as they scurry to finalize polling locations, mail out absentee ballots, and prepare for early voting in October. One recent request in Wisconsin asked for 34 different types of documents. In North Carolina, hundreds of requests came in at state and local offices on one day alone. In Kentucky, officials don't recognize the technical sounding documents they're being asked to produce. And when they seek clarification, the requesters say they don't know either. And 
they go on to talk about the use of massive massive records requests by former president supporters effectively making a weapon out of, of the laws that are aimed at promoting principles of the democratic system that the government should be transparent and accountable. And public records requests are a key feature of that system, they write, used by regular systems, journalists, and others. In interviews, officials emphasized that they are trying to follow the law and fulfill the request, but they also believe the system is being abused. And they have a quote from Claire Woodall Vogue, the executive director of the Milwaukee Election Commission. And she says, when you are asking for every single document under the sun, it becomes difficult for us to do our job. Now, I know in Fulton County, we were inundated with open records requests. And some of these, these open records requests for 2020 uh, documents, it, it would take days for staff to respond to these, taking us away from preparing for elections. We didn't have anybody on staff that was dedicated to dealing with open records requests. So it's a real problem, uh, the way the Open Records uh, Act is abused. And there were so many people that did submit identical requests or requests for so many documents and you know they thankfully they have to pay for them and a lot of them would go away because you know there would be a $15,000 bill attached because you would have to spend that many hours or that many man hours would be required to produce all these documents now so that was somewhat of a hindrance uh, but I don't know what the laws are in some of these states I don't know if they can charge them but usually, I mean, we wouldn't do any work unless we were paid up front. So that scared some people away or just, um, but some of them, people would pay for these things, you know, $500,000 didn't matter. Um, some of the things we started putting onto the website so that they could just access them to, to try to relieve the stress on the office of all these open records requests. Now I know they're still getting them at Fulton County a lot of them but the abuse of it has to be purposeful because they are trying still to get documents from 2020 because the retention you know it's 22 months from an election and then you can destroy the documents that's what the retention um dead or after an election occurs you've got 22 months once, you, once it reaches that point, you can destroy all the documents because they take up so many, they take up so much space in the department. It's a huge footprint in the warehouse to store all these documents. And when we hand them over to the, the clerk of Superior Court, they have to store many of these things and they don't have the room for all of them either. And this new voting system that Georgia purchased has so much, has caused so much in terms of space for us in elections. It, it takes, because of all the paper ballots now, we've got pallets and pallets of, of blank ballots we have to keep. 
We've got pallets of voted ballots. And there was no, the state, the state made no um, accommodation for the counties or offered to, to pay for any of the extra storage that was going to be required. I mean, they, they bought the Dominion system on the cheap. From what I'm told, the contract basically, uh, the system came at cost, and Dominion makes its money on the back end through paper ballot or request for special kind of security paper, all of their maintenance agreements. So they're making money on it, but up front, it didn't cost much. But it's costing the counties so much. Our election costs in Fulton County, because of the voting system, went up about two and a half times, three times really, probably 300%. And a lot of that had to do with the voting system. And I don't, you know, I, I don't think it was, the, the voting system is fine, but I think Georgia should have decentralized and let each county pick its own system. I mean, I think that's a safer model for elections if you, I mean, we've already got a decentralized system in the U.S. anyway, you know, the voting systems across the country are different in every state. Some have statewide systems. Some states, it's different from county to county, like in Texas, which I explained earlier. So the decentralized system really is preferable. But, you know, again, the state did nothing to help the counties when it came to the increase in costs. And that's, that's another problem. When... When you look at Mike Lindell, though, you know, he's a major Trump ally. He was a crack addict at one point, and he built a, you know, that My Pillow company, and I think he's got some other businesses. So somehow, the guy has enough intelligence at least to, to create businesses. But, you know, there there's more to IQ and business smarts. I mean, the, they say that IQ is about 25% of your intelligence and the other 75 is emotional, the emotional uh, quotient part of your intelligence. And I don't think he's got much in that. He's, he is a conspiracy theorist and usually conspiracy theorists, most of the people that believe conspiracy theories are uneducated. Um, they have little education, or they're just so ideological, they're blind. And he's got a voting, he has a defamation suit brought by a voting machine company that, and there's an article in the Newsweek that came out September 19th. Um, it's by Reuters. And Jack Queen wrote it. And what he says in the article is that the judge is letting that case go through in Minnesota because um, judge found that there was sufficient evidence that Lindell knew or should have known his statements were false and acted with actual malice in promoting them, which is the key legal threshold in domestic defamation cases and so Smartmatic is suing him 
And they told an attorney for Smartmatic said Mr. Lindell continues to spread misinformation and by doing so jeopardizes secure and accurate voting in the United States and elsewhere and it must come to an end. So some of these people like Mike Lindell are going to pay in the end for all of this bullshit that they are peddling everywhere. And, you know, it would be my hope that people would come to their senses and start throwing out some of these cowardly politicians. But I think... You know, Mike Lindell is now suffering in his businesses because of all of these problems. Because he, he had his uh, phone seized by the FBI the other day. So some people do not want to be associated with him, with, with him anymore. And the Insider published an article, Cheryl... I don't know how you pronounce her last name. It's T-E-H, Cheryl Tav, or T. She, she wrote that Mike Lindell told, or told her that on Tuesday, that four entrepreneurs whose businesses were set to be listed on his MyStore e-commerce platform have pulled out of the plan. Now, MyStore was supposed to be the Patriot version or the patriotic version uh, answer to Amazon. And they they have like a, a whole gamut of products, um, Cheryl T. Ted writes, including Lindell-backed my coffee and a range of ground coffee with the businessman's face emblazoned on the packaging. But he keeps, you know, he, he goes out there and he keeps pushing all of these conspiracies and he has said that these companies um, don't want to have any connection to an FBI investigation and the FBI scares them well Mike Lindell you know at this point he he deserves what he's getting because but he has sued the FBI for seizing his phone and they said that he violated their constitutional rights, but I, I'm not going to say the man is completely stupid, but he doesn't have any common sense, and he believes, I don't know what his, what his education background is, but I'm assuming since he was a crack addict that his brain doesn't operate normally anymore. But I think what we're going to go for the day, because... Um, and then I will start covering more and more things as the podcasts go on. I thank you for listening. And I will see you again next time.